Welcome back, and thank you for listening to Israel Rebound, a podcast joining listeners in Nebraska and other places to Israel, exploring the ties that bind us through culture, identity, and current events. I'm Alan Potash in California, and I'm joined with my co-host, Liz Felstern in Jerusalem. Liz, how are you today? Hi, Alan. Doing very well. How are you? I'm good. We have so much to talk about today that's going on in the world. But I want to start with the holiday of Purim, which comes up this week. We had talked a couple of weeks ago a little bit about how you um, are preparing for Purim with costumes for your kids. Any updates on Purim? The big Purim update from here in Jerusalem, at least, is that we may get snow, which, as you know, and we've talked about on the show before, is a big deal in Jerusalem, right? Israelis go crazy about snow. And um, to that point, in fact, because they're uh, predicting that perhaps we will have some snow in Jerusalem on Tuesday, which is the day when most schools were planning to have their Purim celebrations. Really, Purim celebrations, let's be honest, it's like a 10-day window of celebrations every day. But the, the highlight, of course, is the kids wearing their costumes to school. And that was scheduled for Tuesday. And that, you know, is not something that we can allow students to miss. So the mayor of Jerusalem announced Saturday night that no one should be worried. We would not allow any student to miss the opportunity to dress up in school. And therefore, just in case school is canceled on Tuesday, all of the costume celebrations will take place on Monday. So, uh, so that was officially announced, and that's our that's our big change for the week. What what role does the mayor have with education in Jerusalem? Apparently, deciding when costume day is. Um, yeah, I, I I don't know if this is an official capacity or or why this level of decision making needed to come out of the mayor's office. It's sort of funny. I am. Um, I guess maybe because his is the office that will make the call if school gets canceled because of snow. He wanted to already avert any chance of getting blamed for canceling quorum celebrations by, you know, announcing that all the schools should already get their costumes in on Monday, just in case he has to close schools on Tuesday. So I'm, I really don't know this mayor very well. Does he have kids that have put pressure on him to do this or is this an independent decision? Uh, I, I I don't know if he has kids or what ages they would be. He could have school age kids. He's not too much older than that, I don't think, but, uh, but I don't know. Other Purim activities going on that you want to share? Um, you know, just uh, there will be many a uh, Megillah reading going on both Thursday night and again Friday morning. Um, Friday will be an interesting day since it will be a mix of a lot of people and and our custom as well, sort of running around delivering Mishlochemanot, delivering you know baskets of goodies. Um, and of course, since it's Friday and we haven't changed the clocks yet. I am getting ready for Shabbat. Um, 
So how to do both of those things will will be a busy Friday. Um, and technically trying to have a, a Purim Suda, right? The official Purim meal, which is one of the mitzvot of the holiday, is also supposed to happen on Friday. And so we'll try to do all those things. So a pretty busy week in relationship to Purim, uh, which in America, we usually just handle it for one day. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I think it's exciting that uh, the mayor gets a, to call when Purim happens in the schools. You'll, you'll, have to, you'll have to keep us posted on how that is. But also, it's interesting that in the middle of March, that Jerusalem could have a snowstorm. Yes, um, it is not common, but it has happened before. So like, we can't totally blame it on climate change, I don't think, because uh, there are times when it has snowed on Purim before, but not many. So before we leave Purim and go on to current events, what did you end up deciding for your kids on their costumes? I don't decide for my kids their clothing any day of the week and certainly not on Purim. So what did your kids Um, decide to do for Purim? Yeah, so Ishai did decide that he's too old to wear a costume. He does not want a costume. Um, Gila is Hermione from Harry Potter. And Nadav has a very lovely dinosaur costume, which includes his very own baby dinosaur egg that he can (laughs) walk around with, this giant purple with yellow polka dots egg. Well, that sounds very Purim-esque. And I have a hat. Okay. What, what now you have to tell us more about the hat? I can show you my hat. I don't know if people, other people can see my hat. I mean, obviously, they can't. You can, no. uh, you can fill it in. A, it looks like a, a magician's type of hat with rainbow colored blue, green, yellow, purple, red, and it extends up almost like a Dr. Sue style hat. Uh, and Liz is now adjusting it in all different directions <laughs> and making it a permanent I'm my uh, hat for you a um, permanent fixture on her head. Well, thank you for for that um, overview of Purim. I do want to touch on a little more serious topic, which is pretty much on everybody's mind, and that's Ukraine. And um, Ukraine is in the headlines, on the headlines, uh, everywhere, uh, pretty much all around the world these days. I, I know relief efforts in America, especially within the Jewish community, are full storm and are making efforts every minute of the day to provide relief, aid, etc., for the people in Ukraine, as well as the people fleeing U- Ukraine and ending up in different communities. How is it playing out in Israel um, on the streets and with people? What's going on in terms of relief for uh, Ukraine from an Israel perspective? Uh, yeah, sure. So, you know, Israel is in the unique position of um both having to think about how we want to provide relief to refugees who are on the bordering countries of Ukraine and you know getting aid to those still in Ukraine but also how are we taking care of refugees who have come to Israel right um and i would say that in in all of those different types of relief the general public feeling is much as you've described in the United States, 
People are very um, active. They want to be involved. There are tons of different campaigns and opportunities for people to donate goods and donate money and drop off. Um, you know, because we are a little bit closer, I don't know if people in the U.S. are collecting, you know, toiletries and things like that. Um, but here they very much are. Both when you when you I don't mean to yeah. interrupt you, but when you say closer, you mean in proximity of geography that Israel is closer to Ukraine than it is America to Ukraine. Or are you talking about? Yes. Or are you talking about that there are many people in Israel who are from Ukraine and have closer relations to people in Ukraine? So I definitely meant the former, right? In the United States, I think you do also have plenty of people of Ukrainian descent, but but I meant literally geographically we are closer. So um, the idea of you know sending a plane full of toiletries and winter clothes and blankets and toys for kids and things like that, you know, is, is a little bit more on people's minds. So there are a lot of those kind of collections going on, again, both for things to be sent to the bordering countries of Ukraine and um, to be given to refugees who have recently arrived here in Israel. Um, are, and are so those, are those, yeah. Liz, are those efforts being coordinated by the government or by nonprofits or by individuals? How are those efforts? I mean, how does somebody get a plane load of goods and fly them into Poland or into Ukraine? Yeah, so so the planes themselves obviously are not organized by individuals. That's uh, both both the government, the Jewish agency, nonprofits, um, but the but the collection of goods that are going to go on those planes is something that's happening at a much broader, more public level. So there, you know, are synagogues that are drop-off locations um, and um, and schools and, and even just people's addresses. And then the goods are taken to more central locations and then eventually make their way either to an absorption center or to a plane. Um, so, so there are a lot of those efforts, you know, going on. I think People are are feeling like they want to be able to help. Is is Israel absorbing many of the refugees coming from Ukraine? Are they picking them up in Poland and bringing them to Israel? Are you seeing any of that activity? Yes. So there are absolutely planes coming um, with immigrants. And, you know, um, one thing I'll just point out, because for me it was very striking and, and maybe you know, for, for our friends in Nebraska and in the U.S. in general, this will sort of, you know, ring true. If you have seen anybody make Aliyah, move to Israel, go on a plane, generally a person takes three suitcases, right? It, as opposed to the normal flight where you're entitled to take two, when Israel knows you're coming to, for the purposes of make Ali, making Aliyah, you get to take three suitcases with you. I know when I made Aliyah, I absolutely brought three suitcases and sent another list of goods, but that's a story for another day. I um, But these immigrants that are coming, refugees from Ukraine, they don't have three suitcases of belongings because they left their homes with one suitcase. And so one of the planes that arrived last week had 180 passengers, 180 
Ukrainians fleeing for their lives, newly to become Israeli, and 185 suitcases aboard. And that idea that that they're going to be starting their lives over in a new place with so little um, is tragic and um, and makes us realize just how much help people are going to need. And I think Israel, look, there is also an element here of Israel sort of reckoning with its own history. And, and again, I think this is something we've talked about before, but there, there are times when Israel has welcomed immigrants and didn't get it right exactly, right? Every wave of immigrants, there's sort of a classic mantra that each wave of immigrants thinks that they, each time there's an, each time there's a new wave of immigrants, the preceding wave of immigrants says, oh, they have it so much easier. They're getting much better treatment. But, and the truth is that every wave of immigrants, it wasn't perfect. Israel's still figuring out how do we absorb, how do we, you know, take in people um, and give them as positive of an opportunity to be a part of this complex society as we can. Um, And since it's been a little while since we did it in very large numbers, I think Israel is feeling obligated to figure out, you know, how, how do we do it better? Um, Along those lines, I think you're touching on something that's very, very serious. And one of the benefits of Israel as a country for the Jewish people is that it is a a place of refuge. If you're being persecuted or just need a a place to go to, Israel is there for you. And in the nineties, there were close to a million uh, Jews that came out of the former Soviet Union, and over time, also more and more have been coming. So, were these 180 individuals already planning to move to Israel, or the minute the war from Russia uh, started, they felt like it was their time to move to Israel? Is there any information on that? So, both. There are immigrants coming who. Um, and especially in the first few planes, right, where maybe people who had already been thinking about moving to Israel had already started the process with the embassy. And so theirs were the first um, official Aliyah paperwork that came through. But it's absolutely a mix. There are people who are applying now and coming now who had no intention of doing so before the war. Um, right. There are families that are coming again like so many of the refugees in general, without the without the father of the family, because men are not able to leave Ukraine right now. Um, and so they are, you know, even if they had been thinking about Aliyah, they're now not doing it as a full family as they had intended to. But there are also many families that are coming now, and it was not something that they ever thought they would want to do or need to do. So that makes it even harder for Israel to resettle these individuals that are coming, those that have, who are coming because they want to come and those that are coming because of the need for safety and security uh, puts Israel in a difficult position of automatically absorbing a new wave of people. Is that playing out well in the government and society? Um, I am. What do you well, un- unfortunately, you know, it's been a little bit of a rocky start. Um, this war took all of us by surprise in many different ways, including 
the Israeli government and its policies on absorption and immigration. Um, you know, normally the process of doing one's paperwork and trying to make Aliyah to Israel is a lengthy process, right? We we know that Israel is meant to be a refuge and all Jews are entitled to Israeli citizenship, but that doesn't mean that you can just show up and, and walk in the door. There There is a process and it does take time. And even though Israel is absolutely trying to expedite that process right now, there is a, still a certain amount of bureaucracy. And how much Israel is willing to as I said, expedite or forego certain parts of the process is a question. And there are definitely people saying that the government's not moving fast enough. Um, but, you know, not to be a, a apologist for the government, but I will say that if they move too fast, they're going to wind up taking a lot of heat afterwards I am from perhaps religious parties in particular, people that say, well, why did we let in, you know, all sorts of people who aren't actually Jewish, maybe, or who came and availed themselves of all sorts of rights on the basis of saying they wanted to live in Israel, but then left if things, you know, do allow them either to go back home or they decide to go to someplace else in Europe, you know, in the future. Um, so as is often the case with the government, you're sort of darned if you do and darned if you don't. Right. Um, I think, I think look, we're, they're trying to find that balance, but it's really, it's very, it's difficult. Right. I think we're seeing that also in the States in terms of the call to do more militarily versus um, the humanitarian effort. It's not so easy for governments to shift their direction. They have um, things they have to abide by before they can make certain decisions. When we spoke a couple of weeks ago, you'd taken a trip to the the Paris uh, Peace Center and Innovation Center. I read uh, in the news today that Zelensky is recommending that Israel host some sort of peace between Russia and Ukraine. Are you seeing that also in the media in Israel? And is that a, in your mind, is that a realistic thing? I am. Realistic, I have absolutely no idea, but I did see um, both that Zelensky said that he feels like Jerusalem would be a good place to perhaps have more talks. And I think Putin also said, yeah, he's not opposed to the idea of talks happening in Jerusalem. Um, maybe really all roads do lead to Jerusalem. I Look, whether it's realistic that they would come here or the talks would happen here, I have no idea whether those talks are more likely to be successful because they're happening in Jerusalem, again, no idea. But, you know, we're talking about life and death here. And every day that goes by, there is more destruction and more loss of life. And if both sides are saying that they want to try it, I'm sure Israel will be happy to oblige, right? We we're willing to to try to to make it work if there's an opportunity to come to a peaceful arrangement. Do you think, in your opinion, because Zelensky is Jewish, that that's his connection to Jerusalem or to Israel? Or is that just a, a side component of who he is as a leader? You know, this is really interesting. So I read that apparently when he was 16, 
Zelensky decided he was going to move to Israel. And he filled out paperwork and went through the process and was ready to, to make Aliyah. And his father said, no, you can't do that. I don't want you to do that. Um, I believe his father is or was not Jewish. Um, and so he stayed and, you know, life goes on and he wound up becoming the leader of Ukraine. So, you know, how big of a role Israel played in his life since he was 16, not quite sure. But at least at that young age, he was taken with the idea of a Jewish homeland enough that he wanted to to live here. That's interesting. I've not I've not heard that. Um, that's interesting to know. I do know that his grandfather was a survivor of of Nazi Germany in terms of the of the Holocaust. Liz, I think that we could talk about this for hours because it's an incredible happening in front of our eyes, what's going on in the world around Ukraine and just the amount of effort that people are making to support the people fleeing Ukraine. I hope that it ends soon uh, because the world can't really withstand another significant war as we've mm -hmm. been in the past. Uh, I also hope that people stay focused on learning more about Ukraine and the situation there and not have it be one of those things that's just on the news all the time and not paying attention to it. So our part in our podcast is to continue to update people best we can on how it's impacting us in America and in Israel. So I want to thank you for your insight on this matter. Um, but I really want to send you off with a little happier note, and that's the celebration of Purim, which I think ties in timing-wise to you know, the story of Purim and the story of what's going on with um, the Ukraine and, and Russia that, uh, you know, Jewish people have been uh, persecuted and under attack for many, 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 many years. And uh, our strength and who we are as people and our connection to our tradition continues to help guide us through these difficult times. So go and celebrate. Thank you. You'll fill us in on our next uh, recording of the podcast next Sunday. Uh, give my best to your family and have uh, enjoy an enjoyable uh, Purim. And, and I'm anxious to hear how the mayor's decision goes this week. <laughs> Whether we have a snow day or not. Any final thoughts, comments? I am just uh, sending back the same, wishing a, a happy Purim to, to you and yours. I am, you know, not... Uh, not as happy as we probably would have liked to have seen this year. It's hard to celebrate when we know that people are, you know, literally fleeing for their lives. But um, as you pointed out, I guess very rightly so. This uh, unfortunately is a pattern that we as Jews have experience with. And let's hope that we will also get through, get through this one. Thank you. Thank you for your time today. And thank you all for listening to Israel Rebound, a podcast connecting Jews in America to Israel and uh, learning more and more things about what's going on on a day-to-day -day basis. Liz, thank you very much for your time.